Chapter 39 God Particle That makes no sense, I said in disbelief. What doesn't, your highness? Cedric asked. How to explain I knew what CERN was? That I had transmigrated from that world? That I had knowledge I shouldn't? There really wasn't a way, unless I trusted him and my other vassals completely and told them of my origins. At this point, I didn't. I thought they would be faithful, and they certainly had done an admirable job of advancing my cause and defending when needed. But the sea were too inert in trickery and deceit. Their actions today may be subverted and completely different tomorrow. They were creatures always striving for more. Power, riches, possessions. It mattered not. The Seelie and Unseelie were duplicitous. Even O's and Gies would be subverted if enough effort were applied. If the Olympians were noted for their hubris and lust, the sea were known for their trickery. It was strange that a race that was noted for speaking only truth was also noted for their deceit and lies. I might have taken the risk if my vassals had been the only people accompanying me, but Blaine had sent a guide, and my own guards were in attendance. The fewer people who knew of my origins and circumstance, the better. Further, S-Prime had warned me against sharing information. It had already maneuvered and manipulated my actions. I feared what it would and could do to me if it felt that I was not only no longer needed, but a threat to its directive. I know dungeons were formed where nexus of power and magic are most strong, but does anyone know what dungeons are? Are they contained realities, pocket dimensions that host monsters and resources, openings into other worlds? I asked, stalling for time as I pondered why a dungeon would appear that was located on Earth. There are a few theories, Lorne volunteered. The most prevalent is that dungeon cores are lost souls given a second chance by system. They are forced to atone for great evils done in a past life by providing delvers the opportunity to gain experience and resources. Once penance has been satisfied, the dungeon evolves, the core is released, and the dimensional pocket closes. Another popular theory bandied about is that dungeons are wells that can be found scattered throughout the multiverse. The dungeon entrance is a stepping stone, a path through Summerlands that connects the two points. Because the Summerlands are capable of interacting with every point in time and space, the bridge between worlds would make transitional logic. This theory explains the diverse and unknown life forms and materials that can be found. The largest detractors point out that if dungeons were tunnels between worlds, then why are dimensions regulated? Why would the Summerlands and access to those lands be so unique and sought after? Additionally, the size and area of all dungeons is static. Prescribed. No dungeon has managed to exceed the area more than that contained within the area of a 50-mile circle. No matter if the dungeon contains floors, land masses, or water, the area remains constant, 1,963.5 square miles. If dungeons are simply openings to other worlds, 
Why are there limits to the area that can be explored? Lorne concluded. If dungeons open onto wide open land masses, what stops someone from voyaging past the 50-mile limit? I asked. There is always an energy barrier that contains the dungeon. No matter the means, flight, digging, battering that barrier has never been able to be breached. What is frustrating is watching native lifeforms cross the barrier almost as if it doesn't exist. They can travel back and forth, which gives more weight to those instances being other worlds. Lorne answered. On the other hand, the same constraints that define that barrier seem to work against the native populations at the portal opening to enter and exit the dungeon. No matter what attempts are made, only those that have entered the portal via the portal can exit the dungeon using that portal. The final prevailing theory is that dungeons are a combination of both theories. Some are created instances formed by dungeon cores that have been imbued with a soul and intelligence, while others are planets and peoples that can be found in the firmament of heaven, Lorne said. And dungeon levels? What does it mean that this dungeon is level zero? I inquired. Dungeon levels range from zero to ten. The higher the level, the more dangerous and powerful the creatures found inside, and the rarer the resources that can be harvested. Euron answered. Crafted items of legendary rank need materials that can only be found in a level 10 dungeon. Almost all dungeons are ranked between 1 and 9. In very rare instances, I can think of only 2, now 3, where a dungeon is rated at level 0. There is a corresponding low frequency for level 10 dungeons. One in Seelie territory, one in Unseelie. This rating is the system's warning that the dungeon is unranked for a reason. It may be completely benign, nothing of substance or resources to bother with, or it may be so powerful that it exceeds the standard dungeon ranking. What was Hagen able to find out about this dungeon? And how did he trap a knocker duchess inside? I asked, pointedly turning to the guide, who was looking decidedly worried as I questioned him. The dungeon opens into a fairy ring, a mushroom circle, placed in a design of concentric circles, with each ring changing the type of mushroom. The inner circle of mushrooms is lethal if ingested, but if ignored and safely navigated, a portal forms that allows passage between here and there. The fairy circles are located near a concrete road that abuts a domed building. Cityscape can be viewed on the other side of the road near the dome. We have learned that the domed building is partly a bluff built to hide what really lies far underground and spread out over a vast network of tunnels and structures. The dome contains mechanical devices, monitoring for trespass mostly. The real secret behind this construct lies underground. The world is ripe with untapped ley lines and magic nexus has formed where those ley lines intersect. 
But the people that populate this dungeon, or world, seem unaware and unable to harness that energy. They rely on engineering, chemistry, and science to power their inventions and weapons. As a species, they not only survive, they thrive. They are imminently crafty, perhaps even the equal of knockers, and they are fearless and destructive. They have weapons that can destroy all life, bombs and viruses that can eradicate or infect all life. But they are also fearless. They have created technology that allows them to leave the planet and land on the moon. All this with the use of machinery, no magic, or teleportation portals devised. But they are impetuous. The reason this dungeon has been ranked level zero is because of what happens in this engineered marvel beneath the ground. This construct that they have buried is a machine that would tear the very foundation of creation apart if allowed. It was once feared to be so powerful that it would create a rupture in time and space, a gravitational anomaly that would swallow the world in its entirety. Yet they persevered, unapologetic, as they were to advance their society's knowledge. And they succeeded beyond their wildest dreams. They discovered the God particle, the part of creation that gives mass, substance, and form to other minute particles. It is the first step in creation, a lasting legacy of the will behind the multiverse. One of the building blocks gods used when they first infused their will and set matter into motion. These mortals play with the power of gods, releasing energies they can barely identify and certainly not understand. The knockers have determined that this dungeon opened because of a confluence of god particles on their side of the portal as a release valve, perhaps the first in history and it has created a two-way passage. Not only can we enter and exit, but so can they. It is the only instance where dungeon creatures can escape their bonds, the guide explained. His fear, obvious. Someone from that side must have used the portal. It would be the only way to confirm that possibility, Cedric suggested. Yes, a few of the dungeon scientists have made the crossing to this side. Let's go, I said, coming to a decision. I want to contact Blaney. Perhaps he has found out what Hagen and his cohorts had been planning. I refused to enter that dungeon until I knew more about what was going on with Hagen and his compatriots. I wanted to know why they hadn't reported anything so potentially dangerous. What exactly was so important about CERN? that they would risk retribution from Duke Adoin. It seems strangely suspicious that a guide would have so much knowledge, and I wanted confirmation. We quickly retraced our steps as I hurried to exit the tunnels.
Once we'd arrived at the cave entrance, I activated my communications crystal to contact Blaine myself. A few terse moments explaining what we'd discovered met with swift action. Hagen's most trusted advisors, those who would know what he had been thinking and doing, were quickly gathered, as well as Lord Nelson. A representative of Duke Adoin was included. I had the guide quickly recount the information he had shared, making sure Lord Nelson was up to speed before beginning my interrogation. How many people from the other side of the portal have you allowed passage? How did Hagen hide this dungeon? What were his plans? And how were they able to use the portal? I demanded, when the last person was linked to our MCL conference. Conference calls were much more advanced on Talum than on Earth. A meeting room composed of spiritual and magical energies was formed, and those that joined sent a spark of their spirit to gain access. Apart from the ghost-like quality of the images, it was detailed enough to mimic real face-to-face gatherings. Those gathered looked warily at each other, uncertain how answering my questions would affect them. Their motivation was obvious. They were C, and always scheming to get the most out of any situation. But the unique characteristics of the dungeon, not only to me but possible C at large, would not allow for suppressing information that may be vital. I will recommend that Duke Adoin turn over to the Seelie Monarchs any of those who refuse to answer my questions, I threatened. I wonder how long you can resist answering the questions with the methods they exert. My threats were effective. The Monarchs were well-versed in extracting information. They had a pledged vassal that was system-ranked for torture. Reluctantly at first, then almost frenzied, they began to explain. The cacophony of noise and confusion was commensurate with the number of advisors, and as the seconds passed, they became more frantic to share information, each speaking louder, faster, and more desperately in an attempt to make sure they conveyed the intentions and plans of Hagen. Anything to keep from being turned over for torture. Enough, I said, unable to understand a word as they squawked and shouted to outdo each other. Blaine, select one as the spokesperson. We'll never get anywhere otherwise, I ordered. Knight Blair, you have been part of Hagen's staff the longest. Answer the prince's questions, Blaine said, motioning a woman forward. She was all straight lines and angular features, eyes that flashed fury and fear. Her posture was ramrod straight, giving her a military bearing. She was a woman used to giving orders, and to be relegated to messenger and spokeswoman demeaned the person and image she had crafted and refined over the centuries. Like all Kelpie, she had an otherworldliness about her. Not ephemeral or delicate in her case, more solid. She was steadfast, a woman who had deep roots and a solid foundation that could weather any storm. Her one redeeming feature that softened her otherwise austere appearance were her hands. You would think that this woman was adept at weapons and farming. Her military bearing and deep roots radiated her interests in those areas clearly. But her hands were delicate, soft, graceful, They softened her visage and transformed her from a two-dimensional caricature to someone of profoundness. Of course, 
Lord Blenet, she agreed, lips clenched tightly in frustration. Which question would you like to start with, your highness? She asked me. Our guide mentioned that there have been incursions. Explain, I demanded. Discovering the dungeon was a lucky happenstance, she began. Several decades ago, the Kelpie family that fished the waters where the river emptied noticed an upsurge in energy. Plants and fish were growing faster, prodigious rates of growth in a short amount of time. So, Lord Hagen sent a few trusted men to investigate. It took a while, but eventually they discovered the selenium, nodes, and deposits. They quickly returned to inform Lord Hagen, mistakenly believed this was the reason the river's waters were thriving with vitality. Lord Hagen considered informing Duke Adoin about the discovery, but a missive from Fife Kell changed his mind. Lord Kell's second wife had just died, and Lady Patricia was ensconced as his first and only wife, and they were looking for allies. Hagen and Kell have a convoluted history, steeped in debauchery, and a warped sense of noblesse, oblige. Both had always believed they not only deserved more, but they were entitled to it. I don't know what was in that missive, but it was the impetus that began their pogrom of destruction and illusion. The relationship started as a simple scheming enterprise. Lord Hagen would mine the nodes and station guards. Lord Kell and Lady Patricia would distribute the mined metals. Both would share in the profit each planning on expanding their territories with the ill-gotten monies. The dungeon didn't exist when mining began. It was about five years later that an explosion of god particles opened the rift and created the dungeon instance. If not for the selenium nodes and their ability to absorb energies, the rift may have destroyed a goodly portion of the local sea populace and wildlife, or mutated the people beyond recognition. All mining operations had to cease. Both lords were concerned that if more god particles were produced, the selenium would be needed to absorb those particles. They decided the prudent move was to wait, to leave the metals, and gauge how the god particles affected the selenium deposits. The mother node would be left in place to absorb the emissions radiated from the dungeon. It was a good thing they did because the god particles seemed to come in waves. A new breach of explosive particles, the timing of which was irregular. Finally, Lord Hagen and Lord Kell decided to risk a dungeon delve. They wanted to try to understand what was happening. Lord Hagen thought it best 
to send only the best fighters and brightest minds. So he contracted Duchess Alice Wayne, a knocker who had recently ranked up. Her recent elevation in rank came at a cost. She was now equal in rank to her liege lord. This became untenable, and she was released from her earth and cast out. Her people, her house, was looking for lands they could claim to begin building a new community. Lord Hagen offered her and her people the lands at the head of their tributary in exchange for a detailed analysis of the dungeon. Knockers are amazingly proficient and efficient when it comes to tinkering and research. The Duchess Wayne had a reputation for gathering the best and brightest. What she discovered changed everything. The denizens of this dungeon had technology and science, and a message that allowed them to use a portal opening and exit the dungeon.